Hello and welcome to Flicking and Screaming. My name is JT Chipman, joined today by my co-host Evan Fagundis. Hello, hello. And it is indeed only Evan and I today. Our third co-host, Jed Sprague, is out on paternity leave. The man that we call the Podfather, he has <laughs> taken the nickname to heart and brought new life into the world. Charlie June Sprague, both she and Mama Rachel are healthy, they are safe, they are enjoying their new life together and we couldn't be happier for them and to celebrate evan and i are going to discuss three iconic horror movie franchises because those are the things that we do at this stage of our life uh but before we get into that i have to ask kevin how are you doing did i almost call you kevin uh, <laughs> I almost, my almost. Words a little bit and it sounded like i was calling you kevin this is bad we're off to a bad start without no, it evan no, no, no. <laughs> how are you doing you gotta stare you gotta stare that was a beautiful intro uh i'm doing really well couldn't be happier for jed um obviously missing him on on the episode but um really excited about the uh the fact that he's going to be listening to us talk about horror which you know he he admittedly doesn't like we've talked about that before um you know but we're going to give him some listening on one of those nights when he's up really late uh because little charlie just um didn't want to go down or something like that so there there's some good meta narratives surrounding this episode and as far as the actual movies themselves go um, man, I just, I couldn't be more excited to get into them. I, I, I just love it. I love that this is what we tackled and I'm, I'm just ready. This is what we live for, right? I'm yeah. doing well as well. We are recording this on the eve of my personal favorite holiday, which is baseball's opening day tomorrow. We are both, uh, fans of America's pastime. So I'm waiting mm -hmm. for Rob Manfred to come down my chimney with a, with a de-juiced baseball in hand. <laughs> So we are going to discuss the horror genre of films, Evan, a genre that appeals to our base desires and wanton needs, our, our, the darkest parts of our souls that we like to put yeah. together. We are taking a look at Friday the 13th, Halloween, and A Nightmare on Elm Street, the three original films in the first ever three-way versus episode. Before we begin, Evan, I have a theory that I want to posit to you as a question. Is this the golden age of mainstream pop culture horror? These three films released within six years of each other. Halloween in 1978, Friday the 13th in 1980, and A Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984. Is this the gold standard that we're looking at here? I have to believe yes, um, and it's very ironic, I think, because all three of these movies were made on, on small budgets, um, with, you know, tempered expectations, but all made uh, a ton of money, like we'll talk about here in a bit, and um, spawned these, you know, expansive franchises that run f to this day, essentially, uh, for the most part, definitely in pop culture and in, like, people's minds, um, but actually on screen and, and at the box office uh, right now, so... I mean, I'd love to hear if you have another theory but um, uh, or idea about what, what kind of holds that title. But I'm thinking this time period is like the birthplace of not only some of these types of horror movies. Um, obviously, there have been greats before and after, um, but of the idea that a um, an idea in horror or a certain character can span, you know, 10, 15 year long um, movie universe, essentially. I agree. I think I'm on the same page as you, specifically when I look at the killers that these mm, franchises yeah. spawned, the faces of mm -hmm. the franchise, if you will. These are three completely original ideas. 
We look mm-hmm. at Hollywood today, and so much of it revolves around IP and where your stories are coming from. There's yep. not a lot of original stories being told in, in these movies, especially in horror movies. We're doing a lot of remakes. We're doing a lot of, and you know, some of that is continuing even these franchises for you know, 30, 40 years. But within mm-hmm. six years, we got three completely original stories that resulted in three completely original killers. And I just don't see that happening today. The closest I can even think of is like, Pennywise, and that's a Stephen King character. We, mm-hmm. We're not getting these legendary faces of horror in movies yeah. today, and they're certainly not spanning across all genres. You know, we're we're seeing kids and adults still wearing these Halloween costumes every year. Yeah. You're gonna see. You know, a, a hockey mask is never gonna look the same. That's literally mm-hmm. has like affected how an entire sport it looks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, these characters appear in video games. They we we ended up with an iconic uh, showdown between Freddy and Jason in the yes. film, Freddy versus Jason, which we can't discuss <laughs> here. That's that's a confrontation that has to be outside the boundaries. We can't let right. that influence our, our scores here. But when you, when you look at these franchise openers, when you look at what they led to these six years, this little, this little pocket of movie history, I don't think we can, I don't think we, we can touch it for where we are right now. I have hope. I think there's a lot of good horror being made mm-hmm. today and some original ideas out there, um, but nothing like this. I do yeah. want to know. I want to. Oh, do you want to go ahead? I So I just want to throw in one thing, and you kind of made me, me think of it speaking specifically about um, the killers themselves, because I think that's like the real connecting tissue of all three of these movies um, is that kind of like that that killer that takes on a life of its own both in the movie universe and in pop culture you know like you were saying everyone knows the names of these three killers um people know freddy krueger who would never in a million years watch a horror movie and have never seen this movie right and like that was me for a long time i just hadn't been exposed to this movie until i was like 13 14 um nowadays i will say like like around 2010 right there was a bit of a resurgence in like uh, expanded horror universe based on like ma- massive success of a movie. Like the two that come to mind are the conjuring um, and, and that subsequent universe and then mm-hmm. insidious. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is nowadays it seems like they're much more centered around like the quote unquote good guys of, of these movies, right? Like either the ghost hunters or a kind of a connective family that's being tormented. I don't know. I, I haven't looked into this at all. I'm just thinking of like the the through line in both of those franchises kind of have more to do with like the people being haunted or on the other side of a haunting rather than like uh, the the force that's doing the the killing or the haunting or the um, massacring. That's a good point. You know, you can create a villain out of anything. You know, they'll slap some mm-hmm. CGI or they'll slap some makeup onto somebody. Yeah. And you've got, like, I think of, you know, the Insidious or the Sinister movies yep. or, like, Paranormal Activity where it's, you know, just a, a shadow in a corner. Um, yeah. I look at, I think one of the best horror filmmakers we have is Mike Flanagan. And yep. what he does so well is families and domestic dramas, really. Mm-hmm. And the horror is adjacent to that. I think that his horror films are still scary. I mean... Gerald's game is one of the fucking most terrifying experiences of my life, but it's so much more about the individuals who are experiencing the horror and how it affects their humanity. Obviously we got to look at humanity in these other movies, but there's not as much care or attention given to, you know, the, the man behind the knife or the man behind the mask, if you will, Mm -hmm. even if it's just their, their idea or their aura, we don't get into it as much. Yeah. 
I do I want to know, before we dive into the categories, I have another question. Yeah. Which of the three, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, which one scared you the most as a child, and which one scares you the most as an adult? Has the answer changed? Does it stay the same? Give me a little power ranking of scares for Evan Fagundes. So, as a kid, I will say Freddy Krueger probably scared me the most. And that comes down to, like, as a kid, I was scared literally by the visual. Like, just even seeing still pictures of him before I ever saw the movie. And I think that's one of the magic points of the movie is that they are so liberal in showing him. He's not some, like, enigma that you don't see and kind of imagine in your mind. Like, you see him, and he's actually horrifying. And it's very practical. You know, it doesn't look like... Uh, somebody plastered up against the green screen or something with a bunch of dots on their face. So as a kid that horrified me now, I I think it's Michael Myers. Like now, when I really think of these movies, Michael Myers is horrifying to me. Just the honestly more than the person himself, which is like a brute overpowering force. Um, the idea of like that unstoppable, a uh, faceless um, person because it's still a human. That's just, coming for you with with no regard for humanity or life or um you know human connection is really just something that actually sits with me and each time i watch this movie i it's the easiest one for me to picture like actually walking down my street at night and and, you know rattling my door handle so that's probably where i'm at what about you quite literally the same answer Mm -hmm. we are on the same page here uh i think michael myers is just something far more terrifying and, and elemental, I guess, if I had to describe it. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Freddy is like, I just laugh with Freddy Krueger now, you know, I almost think yeah. he's just, Me he's too. so entertaining. And we'll, I, yeah. I want to get into that more in the categories later, but he's just very camp. I, I laugh yep. out loud with him. I don't want to sleep on Jason Voorhees at all. I think that motherfucker yeah. is terrifying still. Um, you know, especially kind of, you understand a little bit more of his psychology, kind of knowing where he's coming from but you know that goalie mask the machete whatever he's up to that yeah that dude's pretty scary and i would not want to get into any sort of conversation with him walking down the street either do we have anything else we want to get into before the categories these are going to be a little bit meaty having to do three films for every category yeah no i think we're going to have a lot to chat about and we're going to be able to hit all the points we want to make on specific movies as we go so i'm ready to i'm ready to dive into it i think we we got a good overview going Fantastic. I want to kick it off with a story category. I can lead us off here. And just a reminder, we're going to be giving the first four categories, story, sound, cinematography, and acting a score out of five each. Overall Mm -hmm. field will be scoring out of 10. And Legacy, we have to come to terms on a score out of 10. I don't think it's going to add up perfectly to 100 like it normally does, potentially, since we have just two people. It adds up to 70. adds up to 70. Yeah, for each. The overall, really, we're looking for is just who has more points at the end. Yep. So that's, what we're, exactly. that's how we're going to be organizing these rankings here. Um, but I'm going to kick it off with story. Let's do Halloween first, because I want okay. to give Halloween a perfect five. Yep. This is such a perfect uh, interpretation and vision of evil, of mm-hmm. horror in suburban America. I love the general idea of michael myers being born in the suburbs like this he wasn't like a transplant the characters or the victims didn't create the evil by their actions they didn't bring him into the world because of evil they had done they didn't go to another place that was the source of the evil he just like appeared he was born of nothing into this innocent neighborhood of you know haddonfield uh, illinois i think 
Um, it reminded yeah. me, I was thinking about your take on The Strangers. The last time we had a horror pod, we talked about The Strangers, and you talked about how random and terrifying it was mm-hmm. that these villains just came into the home and haunted and killed these people. There was no rhyme or reason for it. And mm-hmm. I think Michael Myers doesn't really have a lot of rhyme or reason either, at least in this installment. I know it gets a little bit right. wonky in some of the sequels, but we're not yeah. talking about that. We're talking about Halloween 1978, Michael Myers, and he is just random evil. That doctor knows it. I, I'm pretty sure that doctor wanted to kill him even before. Like, yeah. he ended up shooting him at the end. I'm pretty sure he wanted yeah. to just euthanize him. He wanted to kill it. It. That's right. <laughs> he, even he wouldn't. Yeah. He would not give it any sort of humanity. He would not dignify Michael Myers with that. It is just pure, pure evil. And that creates such an interesting story. It's it's a bit mysterious almost. Like, you know, the intentions are just unclear other than kill everything that gets in my way. But also sometimes not in my way. Like he like uh the little kid that Jamie Lee Curtis babysits runs into Michael Myers in the first few minutes and Michael just kinda lets him go past. So -hmm. that almost makes him scarier. It's like he is an elemental force of killing. He, he might just let you go by, though. Like, it, it, yeah. it's kind of hard to say, and that makes him scarier. I think the film is really well-paced, establishing each character and their MO, their place in the world. Carpenter really draws it out. There are jump scares to be found in this movie, but they're so well-earned because you're very invested in every person and you're uh, soaked in this really heavy atmosphere of Haddonfield, Illinois. Halloween is a five. Friday the 13th, I will give it a three. I think it's effectively scary, but it's not nearly as frightening to me or as uh, intriguing. It feels pretty shallow. The bare minimum is kind of accomplished in terms of creating these compelling characters or settings, scares, kills. It's just a pretty, it's a perfectly fine run-of-the-mill slasher. I think in particular the dynamics of the friends and the counselors is just boring and it's like harder (laughs) to care about when they die. Like there's some cool kills, like the arrows through the neck. That's fucking awesome shit. But yes. like, I don't care about... I could not name the person who is being killed. I couldn't name right. a single victim of this movie. Yeah. I so you're talking Jason about Voorhees the go- Kevin Bacon... You're talking about the Kevin Bacon kill right through the neck? Yes. Yes. Holy yes. shit. That, <laughs> yeah. that shit is... It's like, that made me yeah. not want to like sleep on my back. You know. I know. <laughs> like, yeah. Maybe you want to look under to my bed. I on my side so it won't go through my neck directly. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But and it, it, I do appreciate, there's kind of a fake out at the beginning. It feels like they're setting up the girl who's going to work in the kitchen as the main, mm-hmm. uh, the main scream queen, scream queen, quote unquote. Uh, but then she ends up the first victim, actually. So there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a twist there. Other than that, I think this particular installment is kind of forgettable in terms of the story, and uh, at least until Mrs. Voorhees shows up at the end. And I want to save that for the acting category. So I'll give it a three. When it comes to Nightmare on Elm Street, let's give it a four. You know, we'll kind of find our place in the middle there. I, I think it's it's the most corny story, right? It is full of just schlock and cheese. It's a classic idea about teenage, adolescent sex leading to horror, leading to these nightmares. It's got some of the worst parenting I've ever seen in a movie. And it, it, it kind of cracks me up, though. It's like, <laughs> it there's, Wes Craven just, like, really hates that generation of parents, I think. I don't know if that's it's post World War Two. It's like I don't know Baby Boomer Gen X somewhere in there. I don't know, but like it, the movie is entirely their fault. That generation, literally, they their their actions in killing Freddy Krueger, taking the law into their own hands, um, immortalized him. And it's like I don't know whether that's Wes Craven is trying to say that's right or wrong, but either way, 
Freddy Krueger is in their children's nightmares because of what they did. Like, granted, he was a child killer before, but now he is something more. He's something immaterial. Um, it also is interesting that the movie did Home Alone before Home Alone. I didn't mm-hmm. really think about that, but then I checked the dates, and Home Alone comes out six years afterwards. And no one talks about, like, setting traps in your home yeah. to ward off any kind of evil other than in, you know, Kevin from Home Alone. That's who. A hundred percent. That's who it is. And it's like, wait a second. Let's give uh, let's give our girl Nancy some props mm-hmm. here. Shout out to Wes Craven. It's Nancy, I think is her name, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Nancy. Yeah. Wes Craven was laying the groundwork for Kevin six years later to, to light Joe Pesci's hair on fire. Uh, yeah. I think, do you, transitioning to you here, do you think this movie yeah. is fun? Because I think this is just like a blast, like especially compared to the other two, which are a little bit more scary or, you know, atmospheric and, and drawn out. I think this movie is hilarious. I think the tone is is, is really wacky and very 80s and, and just like a good time. I think it's super fun. And honestly, like, I think it's like a fun version of like manic almost a little bit. Like you do kind of get the sense, not only just through the acting, but like these people are not sleeping. And that's something that like yeah. is scary, but at the same time can be kind of funny and almost like delirious. Like this movie does kind of give you that like delirious feel, but 100% agree that it's fun. Perfect. So let's get into your scores then for the story. Okay. Gotcha. So I'll start with Halloween uh, as well then. And real, real, real easy five for me there. I I mean, this is when I think of horror, the story of Halloween is what I think of. Um, And John Carpenter, for how methodical it is, it doesn't feel like there's anything wasted. There's no little scene um, between uh, uh, two kids or a little phone call, things like there's a lot of phone calls in this movie. And, you know, yeah. we've talked about that before. That's something that can be kind of like expositiony and lame and just boring uh, for lack of a But there's always kind of something preceding a phone call or something right after or a reason somebody has to get off the phone. There's yeah. there's just lots of movement, even in the still times of this movie. I think it's really great writing. Um, and because of how simplistic it is and how they give you just enough to be interested, but not too much to know exactly what's going on, that is really where that sense of horror, I think, is created. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of this town, I, I think my favorite thing about both Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street is that these are like teenage movies um, uh, kind of shoved into into horror genre. Sure. And yeah. not only teenage movies, all three of these movies – are so horny it's unbelievable so horny oh my god i mean god. The, if you really notice michael myers in this movie basically only kills men because they're like happen to be there but he's like going around killing women and i mean i know there's been a ton written about that and and the implications of of him stabbing all these young girls who are you know in, having sex slash trying to have sex in this movie right um but it's really interesting too. Cause it's like, there's almost no adults. Whereas in nightmare on Elm street, the adults are basically kind of bad guys in their own right throughout the movie in Halloween. They just don't exist. It's like a town that exists without adults. And the adults are waiting around at Michael Myers old house, you know, the doctor and, um, <laughs> uh, one of the dads who's also what he's like the police captain or something. I, yeah. I he's a higher up. Yeah. Um, so I, I just think it's, it's really well done in that, in that way. It's almost like a, a town of, of, children essentially yeah um, there's a, a point where 
you know, Lori's like run. She's running around the streets like begging yeah. for help, and there's no yes. one outside. It's like every porch light is off. She's banging on doors. Yeah, I don't think she goes to any different houses specifically, but it's just like she's somebody alone. even looks out the window and ends up closing their blinds. That's right. Yeah, they turn on the porch light, look out, see her, and then close their blinds as if she's. I guess they think she's maybe you know pulling a prank on Halloween. I don't exactly yeah, I don't know. know. She but... seems like a very upstanding, like you know smart young girl but whatever um but yeah completely agree it's like you hardly ever see these people and we'll talk about it a little bit more as we get into cinematography and stuff too but they set that up well early in the movie so that it's not surprising later in the movie when there aren't people coming to her aid and th- that seems like a very common theme throughout this uh this movie um but yeah easy five there nightmare on elm street um or I guess, well, okay, we'll go in a different order. Nightmare on Elm Street, because I'm tying those two in together as teenage movies, I'm also going to go a five. Nice. And, you know, part of the reason is, um, um, what was the movie that you were just referencing uh, that you said Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street? I was talking was about The Strangers for Halloween. For Halloween. Okay, okay. So what I was thinking of as far as Nightmare on Elm Street goes, I was thinking a lot of Donnie Darko. Ooh. It gave me very similar vibes to the kind of transition the main character has into uh, like almost like a manic state felt very similar. Um, I thought it was a great acting performance, but I thought the material was really good, too, because as a kid, I watched this movie as a straight up horror movie. And now I kind of watched it as more of like a teenage movie and how isolating um, you know, being a teenager can be and, and how isolating it can make you, uh, or how isolated it can make you from your parents, from even significant others, how your friends interact with you. Um, and then I think just the idea of like somebody coming in and, and being a part of your dreams is one incredibly original two gets played off of all the time, all, all the way through, you know, uh, movies nowadays. And three is just pretty scary. Like it, it's just a scary thing to think about. More than just like somebody like Freddy Krueger getting into your dreams, like anyone having access to what happens to you when you're asleep is just kind of a horrifying um, uh, concept. And then Friday the 13th, I'm going to go three as well. And, uh, you know, I I think kind of just devoid of a lot of real meaning or substance is probably the best way. I think you said something very similar uh, is probably the best way to look at it. There's just not that much character setup. There's not that much, even dialogue in general. They don't really talk that much in this movie, which is like, it makes it great for a schlocky, um, you know, teenage slasher, but there's just not that much story really to, to be heard of until the very end, like you mentioned. Um, and you know, the overall idea is absolutely solid and has spawned a million other movies just like it. Um, which, which says something and speaks to the, the ethos that they are kind of, uh, getting to, but, um, yeah, there's just, there's not that much real story in this one, but I'm going to give it a three just because whatever 80 other filmmakers have felt like it, it was enough for them to base their, you know, creative ideas off of. So I'll give it that. I completely agree. You know, it's, it would be interesting if there was a lack of story, but there was a better atmosphere amongst the counselors, you know, right. If they actually, if I actually like believe that they were friends or they had yeah. some more personality, you know, there's scenes where they're like on the docks or on the kayaks and they're pretending to drown or they're, uh, you know, hanging up, uh, like wallpaper or some shit like that, mm-hmm. decorating everything. It's just boring. You know, they're yeah. not intriguing. Boring. They don't have intriguing dialogue. They don't no. set up like characters, backstories. So it's just like, Oh, we're just here, and it doesn't interest me at all. 
it seems very obvious that they are rushing to get through that to get to like the the kills which right. are sick like there are some cool kills in it some like kind of creative ones um and real suspense but lots of these movies it's like can at least try to hide that a little bit more and be like hey we're actually going to give you a little bit bit of something to chew on here this movie's like you know what you could probably walk into this movie 28 minutes late in the theater and you could have a perfectly good time and yep. come back and see it again you know so yeah and maybe that's the point, but we have to yeah. be honest about it, you know. The same yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Let's move on to overall sound for these movies. Um, okay. I guess since we've got two of us, I'll just go ahead and go next. Yeah, we can lead us off. Continue to bounce off of each other in yes. this fashion. Uh, I'll kick it off with Halloween, and to give it another perfect five. Like, yep. Are you fucking kidding me? How could I not give this a five? <laughs> Let's be honest. This is what every horror film since has tried to sound like. Yeah. From a you know, a general sound design and mixing perspective. I think Michael's heavy breathing is really mm-hmm. scary and really effective, especially in those final shots of the empty backyard in the house as he escapes into the night and you just hear him breathing and nothing else. Well, that'll give you chills. I think uh, the lack of sound, too. There's a lot of really quiet scenes when they're walking through the neighborhood and it's very, you know, they're walking home from school, just the three of them, and there's no adults around and they're just yes. they're just out there vibing and there's no sound. And it's like, what's going to happen? Carpenter just like lets you sit with that. Mm-hmm. But then, let me tell you, once that music hits in, it's goddamn perfect. Whew. And this movie knows how good that theme song is because they play it constantly. Yeah. There's a couple other pieces of music. There's like a different piano melody that's a little bit more like bouncy. And there's a couple of like when the jump scares, there's a couple of like kind of bombs, like a little bit of a Hans Zipper vibe. Mm-hmm. Other than that, they just ride with that iconic theme. I mean, that that song is such an integral part of pop culture. It's been sampled in, in rap music a lot. Um, yeah. It's it's really the stuff of legend. Don't know how I can't give that one a five. Um, moving on to Friday the 13th. I actually did give this one a four. I don't know if it oh, really... Okay. I, it's it's not like it's tough to come come off of Halloween and then look at this right. It's <laughs> in a couple of scenes the music is almost scarier than Halloween. At least it was in mm-hmm. my experience. It's not as iconic, but it's different, right? It's like 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 the Halloween score is almost catchy. It's almost melodic. The Friday yeah. the Thirteenth score it's intentionally a horror score. So when it comes after a jump scare, it makes me, makes me jump a little bit. Hits mm-hmm. me with that kind of unexpected vibe. So that's why I gave it a four. Nightmare on Elm Street, I also have to give it a four. I was thinking of something very specific when I was watching this movie, and it was Michael Jackson's Thriller. I 100%. love that. <laughs> I did yes. a little bit of Googling. I tried, I was like, hmm, I wonder if anyone else has made this connection. And I found some writing on Michael Jackson's Thriller and his other stuff influencing uh, Wes Craven's Scream films, but I couldn't really oh. find anything on Nightmare on Elm Street, which I think is interesting because I think it's, the influence is just as there. I think it's very prevalent. This feels yeah. like a pop music horror film. You know, you talk mm-hmm. about it being a teenage movie, and I think part of it being a teenage movie is the music, is the you know the vibe of the radio hits of the eighties. And I think it's it's not just borderline catchy. I think it is catchy. It's it's musical and it's fun, and it feels like they're kind of playing with it and just letting you. Uh, you know, have a good time at the movies and the radio mm-hmm. at the same time. It's like kind of mashing up the, the best of the both worlds there. Um, there's also just some scary sounds in general, like that opening montage where Freddy Krueger is assembling his knives and his tools. And there's just these awful, you know, 
hell sounds that just yeah. make you like squirm immediately as soon as the movie starts playing. But when it comes to the music, I just I just kind of smile and just kind of bop along with with the drums and with the synths. Yes, I <laughs> I completely agree. Uh, now that you say thriller it, it really does give me a lot of similar vibes very similar lighting too and i know you know it's funny like when they're running around the boiler room it gives me very similar lighting where it's like hmm i know there's no window in this room that provides this type of lighting but it looks really <laughs> dope on camera um <laughs> but um yeah the that's uh i think very close uh, in line i'll start with halloween as well it's a five. Uh, as I mentioned with the story, this is what I think of when I think of horror. I think it's right up there really with like Jaws as like a defining sound of a period in movies. Um, the the piano goes so well with the simplistic nature of the storytelling of the killer mm. of the backstory itself. I think it just all matches up really well. And it makes sense that John Carpenter was the one, uh, you know, playing that piano. I think he had a, he was really in touch with what the movie needed to sound like. And then um, the town stuff, I think was very, uh, like you were saying, you know, the, the way the wind would rustle through leaves and stuff while they're walking through town. I love you constantly kind of hear kids playing in the background of this movie while they're walking around. And I think it gives you like a sense or like when they're trick or treating at night, it kind of gives off that feel again, where it's like, there's just so many kids around here, which I think makes the movie even scarier when the doctor starts saying, you know, um, this could just be like a, like a slaughter. And, and the police captain, you know, is saying, well, there's only families around here. It's all kids. Um, and it really does create a sense of horror. And I think the sound adds to that. So five there, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I'm going to go five as well, or uh, I'm going to go five for this one as well as um, Halloween. And, you know, they play that like techno theme for Freddy Krueger. And I absolutely love it. It gave me so many vibes when they're running through the boiler room. One, it looks like a music video and Mm kind of sounds like a music video. The way that it's like almost choreographed, like the, you know, the, the girls will be like running down a hallway and then he'll like come sneaking around a corner. Like it gave me music video vibes and it gave me vibes of like creepy dudes at a club who are trying to get a girl to dance with them. Oh yeah. And you know, that was like very upsetting and especially knowing the backstory of Freddy Krueger makes it even more upsetting, Mm -hmm. but it really had like sort of like that corner like the the creepy dude who corners a girl in the corner to try to like have a conversation with her and ask her to dance or something it just had like that kind of like choreographed like weird creepy feeling um and that the freddy rhyme the one two three you know like the whole lock your doors like i love that that category but that's so important to the to the story and to the scariness it's it's so and it's super freaky and i'm sure movies did that before but nowadays some of the best um, you know, uh, uh, horror tropes are like using either choruses or kids singing or something to create a sense of suspense. And they come back to it a lot. I think they realize what they had in, in, in that as well. Um, so five there and then Friday the 13th. So before I get my score, I, I do want to give credit. Whoever was in charge of the music did what they could for sure. Um, and they made a concerted effort to not play almost any music outside of like the suspenseful kill scenes and and it's almost like a theme music for the killer similar to halloween except they don't use it as as often it's really pretty specifically when there's about to be a kill um and it you know it's effective actually like it is scary it sounds scary um when the when the killer is making their move outside of that though 
Part of what adds to the movie being a bit boring, I think, is that it's very quiet early on. Like when they're having those early scenes where they're messing around on the dock or they're kind of working on setting up the camp, there's just not that much sound. And it just makes it, I know it seems like they were going for like that uneasy feeling and that sense of like impending um, doom almost with the with the silence but it just kind of makes it like weird like you could just skip it and it wouldn't really matter I don't know it's just and then there's so much dub dialogue and we'll get to it when we get to acting but I think it, it had to, something to do with the acting something to do with the dialogue I don't know exactly what it is but it seemed like half the time that people were moving their mouths like it was very clear that that was not the dialogue that we are listening to, that we are listening to like a dubbed version. And for whatever reason that that just happened to be the case. Did you notice that? See, I thought that the audio track was just off a little. Is that what it was? I'm not okay. sure because I, I, I watched a torrented version of this film. So yeah. it, it could be very possible that, <laughs> that um, it was simply the version uh, the, the file that I was okay. watching the movie, the movie on, but it seemed to me like it was a little bit off with the audio track. It just wasn't perfectly in sync. It wouldn't. Okay. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me, I guess, if it was dubbed. I also just don't know if they would care that much to like put in all that extra work when it comes to yeah, the design. Yeah, that's true. Either way, not great. I mean, if the audio track is off or if it's dubbed, that's points against yeah the overall sound design yeah that so that's kind of what I was going for. So I gave it a three actually, um, and, and that's. Cause I was really disappointed. Like some of that dialogue stuff was really throwing me off while I was watching, but, um, the way they use music and the music I think was actually pretty effective. And the sounds of the kills were actually pretty good. Like they literally showed somebody having an ax thrown directly through their face in this movie. And I have no idea what that sounds like in real life, but the way it sounded in the movie sounded realistic enough to me. I mean, it freaked me out. So, uh, enough to give it a three. You know, Jed is spending his night being a father, <laughs> raising a newborn, and we are discussing axes being thrown through faces. How do you yes. feel about this stage of life that we're in? You know, considering that I'm so excited to talk about this, I can, I, I'm can i very comfortable being in the position that I am in right now. And the fact that Jed would have no interest in talking about this and would want to talk about the music itself and how it was made on a piano makes me very comfortable in the position that he's in. So I, I don't know if you agree, but that's what I'm feeling. Fuck yeah. I couldn't be happier <laughs> to be here spending this time with you. I also think it's clear that you and I had, think that there's a bit of a separation between two of these movies and the and the third movie. I think we're going to see that clear. play out here a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so we can move on to cinematography here. Yeah. I, I'll start with Halloween. There's so many just beautifully long shots. In mm -hmm. My score is a four. I should lead with that. I, I gave it a four. Okay. There's so okay. many just like long takes. Carpenter loves to just let us breathe in these neighborhood streets or in these, you know, these fucking laundry rooms and these bedrooms. Yep. There's no escaping from the atmosphere, whether it's uh, a bit of a relief in the moment with, when there's no Michael or whether Michael's in the background plotting, thinking, mm -hmm. you know, whatever is happening in that mind. It's never exactly like a tracking shot, quote unquote. I think what we see today is a lot of intentional tracking shots. Like, yeah. hey, look at us. This is what we're doing. Especially yeah. if it's shot, you know, if it's digital photography and it's kind of st yep. stitched together or it's some, some camera wizardry. It just feels like, hey, we're taking a walk with Lori and her friends for a while. Yeah. It, feel, it feels He just doesn't natural. cut. Yeah, there's just no like, cuts. Yeah. <laughs> like, remember when movies didn't have, like, a hundred yeah. cuts in five minutes of conversation? Right. It's a simpler time. He Shout just sits to... a camera there and is just like, all right, now let's do the scene. Listen, listen. There's <laughs> something missing in movies these days. 
I don't yeah. know, I'll put my finger on it one of these days. Yeah. Um, I do love, there is a little bit of a camera trick, that first scene where Michael, as, as a child, kills a babysitter, and he's got the mm-hmm. uh, the clown mask, and he puts the mask on, and it covers the camera, too, with just the two eye holes. Just a little bit of a trick there from John Carpenter. Chef's kiss. I love that. Can't get enough of yes. that. Halloween is a four for cinematography. Friday the 13th, I'm also going to give it a four. Uh, okay. Literally just because of the final shot. Because of that jump scare at the end. I think yeah. that the lake looks so serene. And it's interesting. You talked about there's only horror music and this just quite otherwise. There is that one happy song that plays. That's when, true. When uh, What's-Her-Face is in the canoe. And you know she's survived the night. She's killed off Mrs. Mm-hmm. Voorhees. She's at peace. And then, boom, we get our first sighting of Jason fucking Voorhees. Um, yeah. There's a lot of like really impressive makeup work that's done on him, honestly. for Especially for just one shot. Like mm-hmm. we get five seconds at a really scary looking. I think he's, you know, he, he looks like a child. He looks like, you know, a, a camper. Yeah. Um, in that shot, um, and literally just because of that, I'll give it. I don't care what else in that movie. That shot is done so well. I'm gonna give it a four. There is some other good stuff. I think that there's uh, like the lighting at the archery range when they're when they're fucking around with that. I think is really cool. Um, it's a four exclusively from the Jason jump scare. Nightmare on Elm Street, a, a four. So I'm giving fours across the board in cinematography. Okay. Again, I think you compare it to a music video like Michael Jackson's Thriller. They've got Freddy Krueger doing some weird shit. He's coming from like <laughs> unexpected locations in the frame, or he's like peering out of somewhere, or like you know his arms are stretching to twenty feet wide, and they're like in- enveloping the whole fucking screen. And then listen, our guy Wes Craven, he knows how to use some blood, right? Yeah. He yes. knows how to splatter some fucking blood everywhere. I think that my favorite might be the boyfriend getting swallowed up into his bed. Oh, and then the blood just projecting up onto the yeah. ceiling, spreading throughout the entire room. And, I mean, just really good shots, too. Uh, I think maybe is the most iconic the scissored, or not scissored, the knife hand coming out of the bathtub in between her legs? Yeah, I mean, that's what I that's what I think of. Like, yeah. I remember seeing that as a kid. The obvious sexual overtones of that are, are very yes. apparent. Um, very. <laughs> Freddy is a he's a child killer. He's not a... They Originally, he think he was a child molester, and they changed mm-hmm. him to a child killer, because that's so much yeah. better. Um, but either way, we know, we know what's going on there. Um, yeah. But the other one, I think that, you know, that's like the crowd favorite. I think my personal favorite might be when he's like stretching himself out of the wall. You know, yeah. it's, it's like it turns into like unbelievable, plastic, and he's it's almost yeah. like he's trying to birth himself into the world, and it yeah. knocks down the crucifix, and it's like, oh my god, that yeah. shit, that shit keeps me up at night still, like, yes. <laughs> over the top of my bed right now, yes. I'm not a crucifix, so maybe I should. <laughs> so uh, fours across the board for cinematography. Uh, how about you, Evan? All right, there you go. So. You know, I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about it, too. And you almost convinced me to change it to a five. But Nightmare on Elm Street, I had it as a four as well. Um, I think this is the type of cinematography that I think about when I watch the cookie cutter horror movie nowadays. And I don't think it was cookie cutter then. But like that peering down dark hallways, cr- coming around corners. You know, it's not like it's the slowest pan ever. Craven wants you to wants you to get around that corner. But at the same time... Y- you know, he, he doesn't want you to know what's around it. And sometimes you don't even get a reveal when you come around. Um, but I think it's the perfect mix of like 
building suspense, but also getting to where you need to go. Um, and some of those effects, and maybe that's like a, a category of its own, but some of the effects in this movie are unbelievable. I think yeah. that that silicon wall scene oh, um, it is man. really unbelievable. Um, even some of the set design, you know, like with that boiler room and stuff, like I think it's really cool how they'll just end up there randomly. It feels so dreamlike the way the camera moves around. And I think the camera really adds to that, like a uh, sense of not knowing whether you're in dream or reality. Like, I love that he doesn't change the focus or change the lighting or anything like that. It's just, you kind of snap into it, which feels like a dream, right? Yeah. It also, I don't think it ever really establishes what that boiler room is. It's not right. like, oh, this is where, you know, Freddy was yeah. killed by the parents. Exactly. This is where, and maybe that's the implication, but it never, it's never explicit with it. It's just like, true. this is the place where Freddy is. Is it real? Is it not? I don't know, but you better look out. Yeah. No, that's true. Because I honestly, the way I remembered it in my head was like, oh, this is where he took kids, like to kill them and stuff from the first time that I saw it. And then... When we rewatched, you know, um, uh, the main girl's mom, Nancy's mom is mentioning how he was in this boiler room when they killed him. So it's like there's a whole bunch of different meetings that can kind of be applied to the this uh, random location. But um, I think the camera work doesn't do anything to to hurt the movie whatsoever. And I think it really enhances some of the you know, there's so many practical effects in this movie. And I think mm-hmm. the camera um, is able to hide the way that they're doing it, but also show you as much as they can uh, at all times. Halloween. I'm going clean five again. Nice. And, and, and honestly, I'm going to use Friday the 13th to justify this five a little bit because Friday <laughs> the 13th, the, the crew watches movie and was like, Hey, let's just try to do that. That was really freaking scary. Um, but all the first person, I mean, I know it's been talked about ad nauseum at this point, but the first person, not only with Michael, I love when they do that, but they also go first person from victims perspective sometimes too. And that, that is really when they get handheld and really shaky with the camera, uh, versus Michael that looks like a more staid person, you know, walking, um, when, when they're with a victim, like when we're watching from, um, um, God, what's, what's, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. What? What's Jamie Lee Curtis? Oh, Lori. Lori, Lori. When you're watching from Lori's perspective, it's very frantic, and the camera's kind of moving around. It's almost like motion sickness uh, level of of movement, and I just really, really enjoy that. And I really love the fact that he doesn't cut the way he pans around this this town. That's kind of what I was getting at before. Like it really does give the feel that this town is empty, that there won't be somebody to come and save you, even if you're being murdered in your suburban home. That's you know. 10 feet away from the place next door. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that. And then Friday the 13th, I, I'm going to go for as well. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's incredibly flashy. I think they were kind of ripping off Halloween, but shit, Halloween worked and yeah. I get it. Like I, I'm, I'm with it. Um, I, I like the first person point of view stuff. Um, I was a little bit unsure of where everyone was at times, but I don't think that was the cinematography's fault. That was more screenwriting, but it actually kind of led to good cinematography because it was like any time they'd cut around or the camera would move, I didn't exactly know where everyone was or what people were doing. So it added to like the mysteriousness behind where the camera was looking and like why we were looking down a certain hallway or why we were looking at some certain shack. There's like just a ton of shacks, right? In this movie or cabins. Like, yeah, I have no idea which one is which. I don't, I mean, it's definitely like, uh, 
a happy accident. I think this is not yeah. an intentional choice on the part right. of the screenwriters to leave the audience confused. It's just, uh, hey, it's a it's a location and someone's about right. to die. That's all you get. Yeah, it's in the woods and it, this shack is made of wood. And that's like all you're going to get. Um but the camera uses that well. It, it almost kind of sets it up where when they when they show the outside of a a location, you kind of don't know if the person inside is going to be playing a board game uh, or like strip uh, Monopoly like they're playing in this game or whether they're going to be one of the people who are being like stalked and killed at the moment. So it does set, set up some suspense. And that final scene is pretty unbelievable with uh, with Jason in the water. It's almost like they spent like half their budget just shooting that one scene um and then kind of made do with the rest of it but yeah i got a four there that's awesome i will say uh, one other shot i want to give a uh little shout out to is in halloween when michael kills one of the uh the boyfriend in yes. the other house and he like yep. leaves him pinned yep. to the wall and he just stands there and stares at him for a while mm-hmm. and it's like a 10 second shot of him just it like at, you can't tell if he's admiring his work or just like passively observing what he's done and just like i have killed i have killed you know yeah it's a beautiful beautiful shot yeah it it, that's something that one it's a beautiful shot and two i'd love to know like is that written into the screenplay because to me that was like one of the most telling moments and i don't know what it told me like that's one of the beautiful points of the movie but it seemed to be like okay so he does think something i don't know what but there's something that he's thinking that's what really puts Halloween a step above. We're, we're getting in other categories, but Michael is so complex yet so simple. You know, yeah. John Carpenter really knows how to hold back with that particular right. character. He, he tells us, like, just enough to keep us hooked and to, you know, let us have conversations like these, you yes. know, fucking 40 years later. Exactly. Uh, yes. So we're we ready to move on to overall feel? Um, acting. Acting. Oh. This will be a fun one. <laughs> this is gonna be interesting uh acting uh let me start with halloween here i gave it a four uh okay crazy to think introducing jamie lee curtis yeah splashed across your opening credits uh 20 years old i believe when this movie came out so mm-hmm. she was you know around actual high school age which is kind of crazy she doesn't really yep. look like a high schooler i don't think but she's she does high school age so it's, right and she's uh, the only one everyone else is like in their late 20s basically yeah I don't know how that works, but um, she's fucking awesome in this. Like she yep. is, I think the idea of a scream queen kind of came a little bit late. I think that's a bit more of a Wes Craven uh, kind of trope in the eighties. Am I am I off mm. with that? Would you say, or do you think that's accurate? I think it's been. I think you're right in that it's been like retroactively attached to her. I I don't think like at the time that's what she was considered. So I think it was like, as it got into the nineties, early two thousands and people were looking back, they were like, Oh, she was one of the original scream Queens. But I don't think at the time that was like part of the, you know, lexicon. I think so too. I think that was introduced. Um, you know, that idea was attached more to like the scream films. And then we looked back and, you know, and you can apply that term scream queen to like, you know, woman in Hitchcock films, you know, it's just, uh, when it entered the popular vocabulary, but there's not that many people in this movie overall to act, Mm-mm. as we've discussed, uh, and they're all pretty good. You know, I think that's just yeah. what happens when you have less people. Uh, you just have, uh, yeah. there, there's less chance to fuck up. Some <laughs> so, focus, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can focus. Yeah. Uh, you can fo- being focused is the, is the positive spin on that. Yeah. Um, 
the kids are pretty good with the whole boogeyman shit. Uh, I don't remember the name of the kid that Lori's babysitting, but I don't know. He, he feels like genuinely terrified and also like a good yeah. uh, like distraction. Um, I think her friends are pretty good actors too, especially the one that gets stuck in the laundry room. And then, like, she's singing tunes to herself at one point. She's got yes. good screen presence, good star power. I don't even remember the name of the performer. And uh, she's actually, I th- like, I really think enjoyable. Annie, Bra- Annie Brack something, isn't it? Like, oh, God, what's her name? Uh, Annie her name is, is the Nancy, character's right? name, Nancy Kyes. Who yes, has, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's been in other movies. So, um, so I, think she's, I think she's fantastic in this. Uh, she's got some good star power. And then, I mean, it doesn't really matter who michael is necessarily but that performer mm-hmm. still gives a menacing performance like yeah um and just you know j- just terrifies just uh mm-hmm. the way that they walk you know the way that they hold a knife fantastic stuff a nightmare on elm street i also have a four uh this okay. is very different from the other films in that our killer has a personality and has a face yeah. quite literally uh Freddy Krueger, played by the incomparable Robert Englund, not only speaks, but is uh, 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 funny and kind of entertaining as a child killer. He doesn't have, like, in some of the later movies, he has, like, more quips and more puns and more jokes. Right. He's, got, he's got a couple in here, but I think of, like, when I think of this particular movie, and I try to think of the quotes, he, when he says, this is God, to mm-hmm. Nancy before he, before he kills her. Ooh, listen, we don't get anything like that with Jason or Michael. And that's okay. That's right. that's not who those characters are. I don't want right. them to be to be speaking like that. But he he's really fucking terrifying. And you know, mm-hmm. his face literally comes through the makeup. Like it's very it, it's very caked on, but you could identify that, that is Robert Englund. And if you were to yeah. see Robert Englund, you know, without that makeup, you could still see, wait, there's something there's something familiar. There's a connection there. Um, mm-hmm. so there's some really good shit there. The kids are sufficiently good. The adults are sufficiently scummy uh, and just, you know, (laughs) awful, awful people. Uh, So I I have to award it a solid four. And then Friday the 13th, I will give it a two. It's just bad across the board. Like, (laughs) I mean, this is a schlock slasher, a schlock slasher. Um, So it's just, you, you get what you pay for, right? I will say, the cop is fucking hilarious. I don't know who that guy is. Yes! Yes! So funny. I I looked him up, and he hasn't been in many other movies, at least nothing, you know, exceptional. Maybe he's got some other bit parts like this. Yeah. So fucking funny. That one scene, when he shows up looking for the crazy guy, is like one of the best scenes I've seen in a minute. (laughs) He's so funny. Like, the chief calls him on the walk, and he's like, hey, never keep chief waiting. It's like, what? Yeah. And he's talking about, like, smoking kush and ganja and hashes, like, naming, like, weed yeah. terms. Devil's lettuce and stuff. Yeah, it was unbelievable. He's like, <laughs> I don't I don't know if he thought he was in a different movie than everyone else. Or maybe right. he thought, like, oh, this is my one scene. I need to make an impact so people will yeah. remember me. I, I want that guy to be in every single horror movie ever made. And I'm I know. ashamed that he was not, you know, a part of the Friday the 13th universe going forward. Right. Um, but I'm very grateful for him. And I think that Mrs. Voorhees is also pretty fucking scary. I mean, she's in the movie for like 12 minutes. Um, and I don't know what's going on with her. Like the way that she's talking to Jason and also like talking as Jason's voice. I don't fully get what she's trying to go for, but that almost makes it scarier. Kind of like we were Mm -hmm. talking about with 
you know, when Michael is staring at the guy that he killed, it's like, what's going on? I don't really understand. That mystery gives it a little bit more of a scare. Uh, does she know that he's waiting at the bottom of the lake and still kind of alive? I don't know. But mm-hmm. she is uh, very, very scary to me as a killer. Everyone else is just is forgettable to plain bad. Again, we've talked about yeah. not sure what's going on with the audio and the dialogue. But um, it's I have to sink it down to a two. So I don't know what your thoughts there. No, that's fair. And, you know, I'll pick it up right there. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going two as well for Friday the 13th. And the only reason it's not a one. And I think last time we were doing a versus, I was saying, like, when are we going to pick out a, like a two or a one? Right. Like the only reason it's not a one is because of that cop who shows up. Yeah. And I am convinced that if he did know what movie he was in, he was like, this movie's going to be fucking pot boiler trash i'm just going for it yeah um and i feel like the the people on set were like you know what like sure why not like let's just have the like let's just have this conversation in there because it's so unlike every other part of the movie um but it's hilarious and one person i gotta shout out uh, i'm just gonna say her first name robbie i i don't want to like roast her i i know she probably doesn't care she's not listening to the pot or anything like that but the girl who plays annie who's the hitchhiker who, like you were saying, we thought was going to be kind of like the main character at the beginning. She was supposed to be the chef. Yeah. Um, it is like, it's like one of the worst acting performances I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's, it's really wild <laughs> when she walks into like that, like diner um, convenience store type thing yeah. and asks like, where's, where's this camp or this lake, whatever. It's, it's really like shocking to think that that's like the take that they used for the movie. Like to think that that was the best one. Um, <laughs> bad were the other takes. I'm really trying to imagine what the takes were where they were like, I don't think you got it. <laughs> like I don't think you got it on that one. <laughs> but well, wonder just... I wonder if maybe, you know, maybe they filmed those scenes and they were thinking she's going to be the main, you know, that has to fight Mrs. Voorhees right. at the end and they yeah. filmed those takes and they say, "Ah, we're going to yeah. switch to these other characters actually." Yeah, and then when she hops out of the car they're like, "Yeah, so we're actually going to kill you here in this next <laughs> scene." And she's like, "What? I d- I don't get to go and like make some meatloaf or something for tomorrow night for like the main uh sequence." <laughs> um that she was just it's like uh, unbelievable. Everyone else is blah. It's cool to see Kevin Bacon hop up in there. They have him yep. say like three words. He's actually pretty funny in that scene with the cop uh going over messing with his bike. Um the the but, bike also the cop does like a burnout on the bike. He does like donuts when he's leaving. It he goes to leave and for some reason he's like riding this kind of small motorcycle but he has to drive like 200 yards one way to like turn around yeah. and like quickly burn out going back. It I mean, that guy is, I would like to meet that man someday and just hear what his take was from like his, you know, whatever, five hours on set for Friday the 13th. Because um, un- unbelievable heat check. Um, and then let's see. what. Okay, so Halloween. Halloween I'll do next. I got it at a four. Um, I think Jamie Lee is unbelievable. Um, and especially towards the end, it's so hard to do the big end sequences for these horror movies i feel like especially the ones with the slow burn because it's so unlike anything else in the movie it kind of all seems over the top a little bit um but the way she's stumbling away from the house like it's in an actual believable way and not in like a okay go ahead and stop tripping you know we know it's a horror movie you can you can just run normally um she is legitimately horrified and the way she kind of has like those senses of relief 
each time before he ends up getting up really does kind of add to that like unstoppable mythical uh creature coming at you um in a way um i have to say i i hey kudos to you for being into the kid i thought that both of the kid actors were were really rough and maybe (laughs) maybe them being rough is like a good signifier of of being realistic too like i think kids are just kind of goofy and weird like that when they're like you know eight years old so i'll give them that for sure um but for there and then nightmare on elm street i'm going clean five wow and and this is where i really think like i said you know i I don't know if it's recency bias or what i was really thinking of donnie darko i thought lankin camp as nancy was um uh, just kind of unbelievable and i wasn't heather uh, uh langenkamp is her name um i wasn't so sure at the beginning of the movie i was like okay this is interesting but then as the movie went on i really just thought she absolutely ate it up when they gave her the dark circles under her eyes and and mm-hmm. she kind of had um you know that, that like manic um hairstyle going i don't know i just thought it was great um and then all the kids you know we got a shout out johnny depp making his his first appearance um i thought it was really good and obviously is that kind of iconic um like halter top uh situation there uh in his room in that one scene um but all the other kids i thought were really good uh john saxon as like just a shithead dad i thought was <laughs> really good and like believable as just being um uh, a full-on dumbass but um I don't know that that's really where, especially because this time around, like you said, I really did see this movie with so much camp that I thought the acting actually did carry it through because I was like, wow, this is actually maybe a story and character driven movie much more than I originally perceived it to be. Um, And the fact that I still liked it so much, even seen through like the horror aspect, I just felt meant that they must have been doing a good job. Um, and England is, as, as Freddie was obviously unbelievable and don't want to say, you know, I, I admire the character of Freddie Krueger at all, but I'm just saying like, we were talking about, you know, Voldemort being sassy as hell. Freddie is, is sassy as hell in his mm-hmm. own right. Like he, he's very confident in what he's going about doing. Um, and it's just absolutely cackling the whole time. He was giving me real, like Joker in dark Knight vibes too, which just how funny he thought all this shit was. Um, and, uh. It's both campy and actually kind of scary in a way. So yeah, yeah, I got a five there. I don't know. Maybe I think for me it's a little more Jared Leto at the end of the Snyder Cut Joker. Wow. <laughs> wow. I, don't know, I don't know if you've tuned in to Zack Snyder's vision yet. I Justice I have not yet. I have not yet. But that gives me not high hopes. <laughs> well, Nick, I don't. <laughs> oh man, that's that's a different conversation. Uh, are we ready? Let's okay. Overall feel category. I'm. I can. I. I will not jump the gun this time. And actually, we can dive into the overall feel. Again, yep. we're going to be scoring this uh, up to ten, and I will yeah. kick us off here with Friday the Thirteenth. And uh, I'll just go straight down the middle and give it a five. Right. Yep. This is the first installment in the franchise. It just doesn't do a lot for me. It's kind of scary, but also kind of boring. Up until Mrs. Voorhees shows up. And we get a greater sense of just how evil Crystal Lake is. Uh, we how, can really believe how broken this woman is as a result of losing her son. Before that happens, it's just Kevin Bacon and some other counselors just there dying. And like, sorry to them, <laughs> sorry to their families. Thanks for entertaining us with your deaths. Uh, other than that, you just, I got nothing there. So I'll give it a five. Halloween. I'm going to do a nine. I'm, I thought about a ten. 
I'm going to okay. do a nine. It's hard to find a better scary movie for me. A film that yeah. takes its time, that's confident in its actors and its characters. Mm-hmm. It's strong with its scares. It's intense enough to shock me, but slows down enough to make me feel that horror. This movie knows that, like, you're a sicko. And you're here <laughs> yeah. to, like, see somebody get killed and pee your pants on a date or something. Like, Carpenter is a sicko, but he's my kind of sicko. He's a sicko who's going to, like, just let you grit your way through half an hour of almost nothing happening to something mm-hmm. really gruesome and really powerful uh, occurring in the end. The 70s were amazing for movies across every genre. I think Halloween is a shining example of that. It's in my Hall of Fame. It's in my personal favorites of all time, so I'll give it a 9. Elm Street, I settled on a 7. Mm. I talked about you know how silly it is, how camp it is, but I love that Wes Craven is just so committed to it. And I think that's something that I should mention is Elm Street and Halloween are directed by real auteurs of the genre. Guys who have a vision. They have a mindset and a belief behind the camera. Friday the 13th, his, the director, I should know his name because I do want to give him credit because the movie and he did lead to you know something really powerful happening. It's uh, Sean Cunningham. He has done a lot of good work as a uh, horror producer. He's produced many of the other Friday the 13th films and obviously his ideas of Jason Voorhees and the character, the character of him, the set at Crystal Lake, have lived on. As a director, he's just a guy, right? Mm-hmm. Wes Craven and John Carpenter are the guys. And yep. Wes Craven and Nightmare on Elm Street, he puts these teenagers through hell, but goddamn if I don't have a good time watching it happen. So I'll give Nightmare on Elm Street a <laughs> 7 for my overall feel. Evan, take it away. All right. Um, overall feel. So I'll start with Friday the 13th as well. I also cut it uh, right in half at a 5. Oh, my God. Um, we are just like through this fucking Skype camera right now. Yeah. Zoom We're on in. a plane. We are on a plane. This is like, talk about temporal uh, pincer movement. Yeah. We are kind of moving backwards towards <laughs> the same end point here. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I kind of felt the same way. There, There's a bunch in it. Um, it, it's extremely horny, which seemed to be like the move at the time in horror movies, but it felt a little bit played out in some way, even though Nightmare on Elm Street ends up coming after it, it felt like it just took it on in so much more of like a, a teenage movie. Um, I'm trying to tell a a story beyond the horror type of way that it didn't feel as exploited, exploitative um versus friday the 13th which seemed to be literally like hey you come to the movies on a friday night you're gonna get blood sex and tears like that's kind of what you're gonna get and and they followed through on it um but there's just it's funny for for a, a series that has spawned so much um you know amazing kind of like myth making and creating this indelible character there's not really much myth making in this movie yeah. you don't connect enough to anyone to actually be that interested in in what's going to happen to anyone and even jason at the end hops out and it looks awesome but you're not like if i was watching that for the first time i probably wouldn't have been leaving the theater like holy crap i need to come back and find out what happens after this you know right. i just would have been like wow that's crazy um so five there halloween i'm going to clean 10 um yeah uh, you know, uh, the way the camera moves, the way it sounds, the the character it, it created, the characters. I mean, we didn't even talk about 
uh, Loomis really that much at all. Um, and, and I think he's amazing as the doctor. I just think he almost adds to the, uh, like mystique of the movie. Like he's almost allowing you to have as the viewer to have that like sense of awe and, and it's like, he's intimidated by Mike Myers the whole time, but also like, he's kind of like at a zoo a little bit and watching something kind of amazing happen in front of him. Like he's almost like, you know. I wish this wasn't happening, but I, I'm, I'm, you know, glad I'm going to be able to tell my grandkids I was an observer or, you know, if we watch the sequels, obviously that, that probably doesn't end up happening. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. yeah, there's just the, <laughs> everything that I was saying before about Friday the 13th doesn't apply here. Like the myth making that it creates is just incredible. And I would have absolutely walked out of the theater being like, one, I want to see another movie made like that tomorrow. And two, mm-hmm. I want to see the sequel to this and figure out what the hell happened here. Yeah. Um, so, and it kind of really is the epitome to me that like faceless, nameless, demonic person that can just show up at any time and come get you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Nightmare on Elm Street, I ended up giving it a, a nine. And okay. the reason I went so high, cause I was, I was at a seven at first. And then I was like, you know, the fact that as a kid, I was so horrified by this. And the other night when I watched this, I have to tell you, I wasn't scared almost at all. Yeah. <laughs> by the visuals on screen but i was i was like scared of the idea like the because i i'm somebody who has i don't know we haven't really talked much about dreaming um on this episode or anything i'm i'm somebody who has bad dreams like pretty often or like quote unquote scary dreams i guess i guess i'm quoting myself at that point um <laughs> but it, the fact scary that dreams. Uh, evan fagundis yeah exactly <laughs> evan fagundis quoting evan fagundis um it, I don't know. There's just so much about like really good acting, a really cool score, and it just feels really relevant still. Even even though it's not scary, it still feels relevant in other ways. And kind of the idea that people are still sitting around in dorm rooms and stuff, you know, in 2021, talking about what it means to be in a dream and like how do you know if you're in a dream or not, or like pinching yourself, all that stuff is like still so relevant that I don't know. It, it seems like it's like. Freddy Krueger is a character that people probably will know about for a long time. And that just, that makes the movie exciting when I watch it. I'm like, this is just the character that people are going to be scared of for a while. So I'll give it a high enough score there. That's solid. I have other things that I want to say, but they're going to go into legacy talk. Before we do that, is it possible to get a score update? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. So again, we are going to be doing, (laughs) each film can go out of 70. With, with our yeah. current scoring system, and yep. we have a combined score out of 10 for Legacy left. Where do we stand right now? So right now, out of what would be 60, um, Nightmare on Elm Street is at 51, Halloween is at 56, and Friday the 13th is at 35. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is tough, and I think Friday the 13th is going to gain some ground here uh, in this next category, but wow, 56 out of 60 for Halloween, so... That yeah. is really goddamn impressive. Only four points yes. away from a from a perfect game. So, I mean, we're yeah. looking at like a uh, like a no hitter with a walk right now for Halloween, probably. Yeah, I could get behind that. I mean, I was almost thinking like you know maybe an error on the shortstop, throwing the dirt um, w- with a couple three two counts or something. But I completely agree that Halloween is kind of running through it, and I'm trying to think like when I felt like this before, but. 
it doesn't feel like all that surprising, you know, I'm no. not like, Oh my God, we gave a five instead of a four there or anything like that. It's almost more like, yeah, four for acting. I mean, I guess, but like, it could have been a five, you know, it could have been a five. Um, but yeah, we are, we are out here. I'm honestly, I'm nightmare on Elm street is putting together a great showing here. I feel like 51 out of 60 is really good for the way we normally score. I mean, I couldn't believe how much fun I had with it when I watched it, Oh, you know, last week. I was like, oh my, this is so fucking fun. This this yeah. movie has held up so well for so, so many reasons. So well. Let's let's hop into Legacy. So this is uh, our, our agreed upon score out of 10. Let's let's do Nightmare on Elm Street first and go Perfect. kick us off. Like, let me know what you're thinking and why you're thinking it. So we'll go film by film here. Um, I... So I gave it an eight. Okay. Willing to bend, willing to flex here. I think it's another, it, it's Freddy Krueger is such an indelible part of our, of our culture. The nightmares that um, our youth have to face every day. You know, there's always going to be like a next new young generation that like needs protection. And, you know, it's up to the older generation to uh, create a safe haven for them and protect them from whatever they have done. Yeah. I think um, it's interesting the way that you were talking about dreams, you know, do we get a movie like Inception without Nightmare on Elm Street? I thought a lot about Inception when I was Did watching really? it. Yeah, because yeah, the ending of this movie is literally like the birthplace of Inception, if you think about it. It's like the dream within a dream. Like, we're going to wake up, but then we're not going to be out of the dream sort of situation. Yeah. So do you interpret the ending of Elm Street as she's still in the dream? So... I have no idea, and honestly, looking it up has made me more confused because Wes Craven is basically like, I don't like this ending, which like makes it harder for me to even wrap my head around huh. it, because um, that's not the original ending that he had. He originally had her just coming out of the dream, and then his uh, some of the producers who financed the film... I believe it was kind of based on like the movie Carrie and the and the twist ending at the end of Carrie. Okay, we're saying like we need a real twist at the end of this movie. Like we need something to happen. They can't just like drive off, you know, sure. into the sunset. A um, twist slash. We also need sequels because we can tell this is a money maker. Also, that I I bet they realized at a certain point like nah, this shit is working. Like it, yeah. it, it's working. We maybe didn't realize it right off the bat, but um. I interpret it, um, I think it's kind of like being caught in a dreamscape, but that's, but that's kind of what I was thinking, like almost like an inescapable dream is what I interpret it as. What about you? I don't know. And I'm okay with not knowing. I don't know if that's supposed to be your reality. Um, I don't know if it's supposed to be, I don't know if it's maybe the mom's dream. Right. Okay. I don't know if it's the daughter's dream. I... I'm scared by it, you know? Yeah, I, I, think I am too. That it, uh, you know, it's not as powerful as the final shots of her, like, turning away from Freddy. Like, that's corny, but it's also, right. like, you know, the the, the power of, of yeah. facing your fears. You know, it's 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 a good theme, and it, you like, know, it still sticks today. Like, if you saw that on opening weekend at, like, the theater, you'd be like, that was dope. Right? Yeah. Like, you'd be like, yeah, that was cool. No, 100%. Yeah. 100%. I mean, just going back to legacy, like, and we talked about with Inception, I mean, that's one of the most important, quote unquote, important, you know, biggest blockbusters of the decade. Does it hit as hard without, you know, having this idea of dreams and reality and the line between them already established in our culture? You know, Mm -hmm. did Chris Nolan watch that as a kid and think like, 
hey, what is, you know, what is a dream? Because I'm sure Chris Nolan, as like an 11-year-old, was like a total snob about things that he was watching. Right. And was like, well, I actually interpret this, blah, 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 blah. Cause, yeah. You know, God bless him for that. Um, so I, and you know, just who Freddy Krueger is and who Robert Anglin is. You know, this is the one where it's like there is an actor attached to the killer. We talked about mm-hmm. it a little bit already. You know, the the hat, the sweater, the, the fucking, even the smile, you know, the look that he gives yeah. these kids as he's about to fucking kill them. I think that it is a step below a couple of the other. I, it's a step below Halloween. You know, spoiler alert. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but I think it's right there at an eight. Don't know if you're going to go higher or lower. I, so originally, you know, when I was thinking about it, and part of it was like, this is the movie I got to the latest out of these three in my life. And that's because I was so afraid of Freddy Krueger, dude. Like, I, I was sitting in my house, like, there's no fucking way I can watch that movie. I can't even, like, <laughs> look at a picture of this fool. Um, so just because of that, I was like, God, it should be high. Because, like, people know. But I feel like if you look at the overall, um, like, universe that they created, I, I think an eight is fair. I, I think there's been, you know... There's been quite a few movies since then. Um, a couple of them have been. It's been probably the most precipitous outside of maybe Halloween, but Halloween still at least scares me a lot with some of the the reboots and the um, the sequels and stuff. Some of the Freddy later movies are just really bad, like really just not good at all and not scary, which is like. Part of, like, we're talking about with this movie is it's not incredibly scary anymore, but it still, like, feels prescient. So, I'm with it at an 8. Like, everyone knows who Freddy Krueger is. I don't know if kids are going to grow up watching anything past, like, the first movie, though. Yeah. I mean, we should point out, like, so they are still making Halloween movies. Yep. Um, there are there, there are sequels in development hell, I think, for Elm Street and for Friday the 13th. We got, I think the last Friday the 13th was in 2010. I think the last Elm Street was like 08. So that's still not that long ago. Like, it's it's pretty long in terms of movies, but like, yeah. they haven't really left the public consciousness despite not, uh, you know, having those movies made. Like, they are still, like, they show up in like fucking video games. Like, there was a big bit video game franchise with different horror characters, and they were all in it. And, you know, they're going to be popular. Like, you're going to pick Freddy Krueger. Uh, to to play in a horror game pretty easily. That's pretty fucking scary, right? So if we're if we're to consider this on an eight for a Nightmare on Elm Street and its legacy, I am good with that. Are we ready to move on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do let's do Friday the Thirteenth next. I want to save Halloween for last. Um, okay. I also gave Friday the Thirteenth an eight. This is the highest score that I'm you know essentially giving. Yeah. The movie in these categories, it gets a little bit tricky because. While Jason Voorhees, as we know him, doesn't even appear in this film, the groundwork Mm -hmm. is laid. And, I mean, you talked about, like, when you leave the theater for this one, when you watch the first movie in this franchise for the first time, how much are you going to want to see the next one? And I still think that there's a solid connection between the Jason that we see and the Jason that's uh, myth-made as you talked Mm -hmm. about in this one and the next thing, the groundwork is laid like the hockey mask and the machete are terrifying, right? That is iconic. That is a look that's going to live forever. But I think that knowing like, Hey, this guy's mom was killing fucking people, right? Yeah. Like he drowned and then his mom started killing people. And like the fact that I think Freud would just have like a fucking field day 
<laughs> like knowing that who <laughs> how popular Jason Voorhees is with the you know the mommy issues and all that. Right. Very very interesting um, psychologically, but I think without that visual of Jason jumping out of the lake and understanding what Crystal Lake is, um, and and just the horrors of it all, I don't think this franchise and Jason are what they are. I mean, across the genre in general, it wasn't the first slasher movie. Far from the last, it had a lot of influence though on the creative and gory kills that Mrs. Voorhees, you know, puts these counselors through. Um, I think I'd be curious your thoughts on how influential the kills themselves were. But Jason Voorhees, man, that guy is a cultural force to this mm-hmm. day. So I, I would wager an eight for Friday the 13th's legacy. So I was actually, I was almost thinking nine. Ooh. And part of it is because I was so impressed that coming out of this movie, they created outside of Halloween the most successful um, uh, horror franchise of all time. I mean, this is the second highest earning horror franchise of all time. Right. And what is it like? It's like 12 different movies at this point, I think have featured Jason. Something like that. It's more than it's in the double digits. Yeah. And I mean, it was, there was a time before the most recent Halloween. It was number one. It was number one, like kind of far and away. And then the most recent Halloween made so much money. And I've, 2018 that it was just like it's it's gonna be hard to top but um man there's just something about it coming out of this movie that it's just like the what they were able to create and i think i i like that you brought up the kills and we haven't done that too much but um the kills themselves were you not feeling like this is an early version of and nightmare on elm street ended up doing this as they went along too it's just a little bit more limited capacity that they could work in this kind of felt like it was like one of the first movies that I can remember seeing or one of the older movies that I can remember seeing where almost the entire movie is, is a game centered around. It's almost like a dunk contest for kills. Does that make sense? Like it's (laughs) like, I feel like I, as I watched the later saw movies and stuff like that, I get a sense that they really were into Friday the 13th. And the idea that the in between 15 minutes between kills doesn't really matter it's all just kind of trying to propel you to that next, like, it's like level of the game, essentially. And that's what it kind of turned into. I don't know. It just gave me that feeling. Like, it was just like, we're going to do something different and new each time. They even came back to similar locations. Like, they came to the bathroom twice and stuff like that. Almost to be like, hey, we can do something different just using this same location here. Like, I don't know. It was just interesting. I love the idea of a dunk contest, though. Like... <laughs> just like hor- different horror directors like Carpenter and Craven yeah. and like Flanagan, like a yeah. collection of them all holding and up like the Juan. signs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I completely get what you're saying. Um, you know, it's a game without it being called a game. You know, it's just yeah. like they, they took it to the next level with, you know, like the Saw franchise and other and other things like that. So right. I'm okay with giving it a nine. I do think, I think Jason Voorhees probably can last longer than freddy krueger i almost right. feel like with the internet freddy krueger can become a meme a little bit easier yeah than Voorhees. he dude he like is a meme like yeah. that's what i thought about like watching this movie i was like this this man is a meme like he knows he's at the time they didn't know it but like watching it now i'm like if this came out now on netflix they would know that for the next like you know, six months, all anyone would post are like 
Freddy reaction memes. Right. Right? Like with the fingers and stuff. <laughs> exactly. Especially considering, you know, like we talked about how sassy he is. Like if he right, could snap. Exactly. He can't, I don't think he can snap with his, with his knife gloves. But if he yeah, could. Yeah, that's, that's true. I think the knives might cut it off, but I forgot that his like, his like the pads of his fingers are like exposed. Yeah. Well, so he also like just cuts useful... off his own fingers at one point for a, yeah. for a scare because fuck it. Why not? That's true. Hey, if you're in a dream, I mean, that is a scary part of the movie. And that, you know what that felt like? It felt like Beetlejuice a little bit. Some of those scenes where like he like cuts into his own stomach <laughs> and stuff like it felt like that can't be. And I'm sure it was horrifying, you know, in the theater in 1984. Yeah. Um, I but, think yeah. I think if I saw this in a theater today, it'd be scarier, which I mean, maybe that's cheating because like anything is scarier in a theater. But I think yeah. this benefits from a I agree. experience quite a bit. Um, back to Friday the 13th, though. I'm okay with a nine. I'm okay yeah. with putting Voorhees okay. above Kruger in this scenario um, for, okay. for 2021 at least. Um, so let's move to Halloween. Let's. Come on. This has got to be a 10, right? Yeah, got to be. Yeah. Got to be. be. Got to be. Listen, Michael Myers is the fucking god. Like, we can't ignore, yeah. first of all, that this film came first. I think that, uh, like, I will grant another film that we talked about doing with this uh, this podcast was Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? Yeah. Which has endured yep. a very long life as well. And I think you can't deny that there's a little bit of the whole, the mask over the face is a little bit cribbed from that. But, like, the Halloween mask is a William Shatner <laughs> mask, which is just fucking hilarious. Uh, hilarious. And really ballsy, too. Like... That by itself should not be scary. Like, a stitched together leather face is horrifying just in concept. John Carpenter took a William Shatner mask on a guy wearing a jumpsuit and made it the most terrifying thing I think I've ever seen in a pop horror movie like this, right? I think that this franchise has produced the best movies of these three films, um, especially recently. I think the, the newest Halloween was was pretty, pretty good. Um, Carpenter didn't direct it but he was involved i think and he made new music yeah. for it um which is mm-hmm. i mean that's almost as good as getting him to direct as he made new songs mm-hmm. for it because that guy's a fucking magician you know with his, his pianos and his instruments right um and there's other there's other movies coming out i think there's at least two more and they've got jamie lee curtis back as well so it's like they brought back the original director and original cast at this point and it's not like a sellout thing you know it's not like a remake where it's just like, oh, everyone involved in this needs money, or they're trying to like get Hollywood glory back. Like, no, this is like a mm-hmm. legitimately good sequel. That's like also retconning a bunch of other movies, but whatever. I don't care. It's fucking cool as shit. Um, I think that it's made. We talked about it's made the most money of the franchises. I think that the theme song is almost as big as Michael Myers himself. Um, I don't know how we can't give this a ten. I, th- I mean, I think this is an easy ten. Uh, also i i just there's so much about it that just it's not just the movie itself it feels like horror it feels like it represents horror movies the same way you know and i come back to like jaws a little bit because like jaws represents like action movies a little bit and just the way it, it creates suspense with with sound and visuals i think halloween's the exact same way for horror i i when when i first watched this movie it was almost exactly the way I'd imagined it, hmm. but also like the most interesting, like freshest thing I'd ever seen, which is just crazy. Just based on what I'd seen and heard about it, um, I had an understanding. And I think, yeah, overall legacy, 
there's a reason that one of the three classic, you know, um, what horror uh, series that we're looking at today, Friday the 13th, is directly cribbing from one of the other movies in yeah. <laughs> in this series. I mean, it's Halloween is happening. directly pulling from it. already happening within the series we're talking about. Exactly. Like, you could actually imagine Halloween as a movie exists in the universe of Friday the 13th. Like, yeah. I wouldn't have been shocked if they'd made a meta joke about uh, Michael Myers or something like that with how uh, prescient it seemed to be within within the, the story and especially, like, the visuals and how it played out. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a 10. I think Halloween is, like, horror. It is horror. Halloween is horror. It's also, like... It's a bit of a cheat code naming your movie just like after the holiday. So it's like, yeah, it's always just going to be like, it's the same word quite literally. So you're always going to think of it in connection with that scary, but I'm really satisfied with that score. Can we get a final update? I believe Halloween has won, but can we get a final update on our rankings of these three iconic franchise openers? Absolutely. So we got uh, nightmare on Elm street. 59 out of 70 Halloween 66 out of 70 and Friday the 13th 44 out of 70 so in order we have Halloween Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th how are we feeling about that I feel good I think it's interesting that that also falls in line with what I think are the scariest as we discussed in the opener that that wasn't like where I was trying to lead that Mm -hmm. no I guess we didn't no because I have uh I think that Freddy is the least scary, <laughs> but now we, it is. Yes. Now I it agree. is. Yes. But at this point, we both think Michael Myers is the most scary of these villains. Yeah. We think that the Halloween franchise is the best. And we think that yep. this particular opener is the best of the three franchise openers. I'm not surprised by that. Um, I'm surprised by how good of a fight nightmare put up though. I, I am just so shocked at how good that movie is today yeah. and by how much fun I had watching it. And they're just like, just the most pleasant surprise to like bring that back into my life a little bit. Um, how, do, how about you? How do you feel about what we've, what we've concluded here? You know, I feel really good. I'd say like if I did my own personal scores, so that would be out of like 35 or whatever. I think the, I think it would average out to almost about the exact same thing. I mean, uh, you know, Friday the 13th is as good of like a by the book down the line horror movie as could possibly be. And Watching it now, I'm shocked that they were able to turn it into, you know, the second most successful horror franchise of all time. Yeah. Um, but I'm impressed. And yeah, Hall- I think Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street, taking out horror, taking out any of that, obviously it's nearly impossible, but they'd be so good at, at just face value um, with the ideas that they're that they're kind of playing with and, and working around. Um I feel like this ended up exactly where I would have wanted it to be. Wasn't exactly sure if that's where we were going to end up, but I think it, it looks good. We were really in lockstep. So we didn't create yeah. very much drama or like tension in terms that's of true. podcasting to, to be meta about it, but I couldn't be happier with the results we got. And yeah, just to have a fun conversation about something that's so close to our hearts and just like flesh out the, the evil and dark and filth within us, you know, it's very, very cleansing almost, if you will. Yeah. Oh, I a hundred percent agree. I mean, sometimes you just got to get down in the muck and talk about horror. And even when we do that, we're talking about the classics, you know, it's not like we're sitting here talking about hostile or something like that. Like we're talking about beautiful movies um, that happen to be 
horrifying at the same time. Um, so I, yeah, I feel good about where it's at. I, I like that we agreed. I think that's honestly part of the reason why we picked, you know, these movies to do and why we wanted to do this because it's like really getting to the core of, of what scares us or, you know, excites us on screen to this day. I think that about wraps up this episode, Evan. Thank you for joining me in this journey, in this roller coaster. And thank you to all of you who are listening in your earphones right now on your stereos. Do people listen do people listen to things on stereos anymore? I don't know. I hope to God no one is listening to our podcast on a stereo. That like freaks me out just thinking about that a little bit, to be honest. This is my first time doing the outro, so I'm like sounding like an outdated radio person. Like from like oh, tapping man. into something oh, from man. My You're like childhood. ending War of the Worlds. You're like, all right, <laughs> signing off. <laughs> Listen in on your FM tuna radio. Yeah. Uh, please be sure to give us a like, review, comment, follow on all of our socials, on all of your favorite podcast subscription services. We love to hear from you. We have a good time with this. This is one of the highlights of my week consistently. And my other highlight of the week is the reactions that we get from the episode on social yes. media. Whether it's the outrage, you know, the, the cancel culture mob coming for us with our <laughs> hot takes or the folks who are standing strong with us in agreement with our various positions. <laughs> next week, I don't know. Have we determined what we're doing next week? Because it is going to be just the two of us again. And I think we are going to be doing something horror again. Um, I think we're going to be bringing it back into the modern era a little bit with a bit of a hidden gem or two. Have we decided what we're doing yet, Evan Fagundis? I don't believe we have, but I think it's fair to say that it's going to be a very new age horror, which will be fun to talk about and quite possibly a horror that came out this year. Yeah, it very well could be. And if not, then we're going to still talk about it at the end a little bit because I have, listen, I'm, I'm here to speak my truth already so keep you guys on edge a little bit for next week when evan and i will return but until then i'm jt chipman that's evan fagundis we'll see you guys next week see ya